Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God will lead us to that blessed promised land. Let me just say this in a way of introduction. If you like a head start, we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in just a moment. But let me just let you in on a little secret if you haven't lived long enough to know this. And that is, you will have tribulation, number one. You will have. Either you have, you're having it now, or you're going to have it. If you're doing all right to right now, watch out. Because the Bible says in this world, there'll be tribulation. Number two, if you're a believer, I want you to know, the Scripture says we, the believers, are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. When the devil brings it on, Jesus shows up. When the water comes, he walks on the water. While we try to sweep it away, he just walks on it. You can count on it. Another thing you can count on is the outward man will perish. And the fourth thing is that the inward person, the inward man, is renewed day by day. If you're down here this morning, you can come up here. If you are feeling today like, I'm just lost everything. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Could I give you a simple instruction? Follow him. Follow him. Stick with him. You say, well, where is he? He says, be still and know that I'm God. You don't have to take Interstate 10, 45, 59 North, 59 South. Just be still, and he'll come to you. So I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 3. Blessed be God... Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulations, now listen, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Very important scripture. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted. It is for your consolation and salvation. Verse 7, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of our life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God which raises the dead, who delivered us, from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Can I just sum it up? Paul is saying to these folks over in Corinth, I've been through it. Some other folks went through it with me. We've been in the storms. We've been in the trouble. We've been in the shipwrecks. We've seen suffering, but God was with us. 
And because God was with us in Asia, he'll be with you in Houston or the uttermost part of the earth. And if he be for us, what can be against us? If he says all things work together for good, if you will just learn what I want you to learn and do what I want you to do, what's happening now is going to be for your good. Now, anytime you preach on this subject or teach on it, you have to go over to the book of Job. Listen to what Job says. You know, he just cuts through the chafe. He just gets right down to whatever he says. Here's what he said. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now, wouldn't you like for him to be your tour guide, <laughs> your pastor, your pilot, your next-door neighbor, your foreman? Be married to that. But it's true. There's true. And there are two ways to bear any wounds that we receive, whether they're physical, mental, financial, spiritual, or whatever. When a problem comes into our lives, we can either use it for God's glory and our good, or we can use it for our downfall. It can be our time of, I'm quitting. I can't take this anymore. I'm walking out of this relationship. I'm quitting this job. I am selling this house. I'm moving out of this town. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And you know what? You can bear trouble one of two ways. The first way is the world's way, and that's what most will do. But the second way is God's way. Now, God's way is narrow, according to Scripture, and few there are that will find it. But those that are the few are those that will seek for him with all of their heart and all of their mind. And if you seek him, you're going to find him. But if you do like most will do, even this morning, there are many of you that are here right now, and you desperately need Jesus Christ in your life. Today, you could walk away from this campus with a brand new life. The past is forgiven and forgotten. And you can be washed in the blood of the Lamb and be saved and born again and never die. But that'll be very few of you. Very few, percentage-wise. Very few of you that watch will step out of what the world is doing and take up your cross and follow Him. But let me tell you something. Trouble's a good time to consider it. If I'm talking to anybody here today and you say, I, I know something, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Could I tell you something? I know one that can handle it. And you know what? He wants to guide you to all truth. He said, I'll promise to meet your every need according to my riches and glory, and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And you say, well, what do I have to do? You've got to let go and let God. You've got to quit following what everybody else is following and start following him. And when you choose to do that, you're going to find life everlasting. And that doesn't mean after you die, you go to heaven. Yes, that'll happen. But there's a lot of happiness in the nasty now and now, just like there is in a sweet by and by. But you have to make the call. You have to understand that when the storms come, you ought to be looking forward to the dawning of a new day. I don't know if you remember the first day after this mess, Harvey. 
but I just want to kiss the ground in Houston, and I know what's in that ground, and I've never wanted to kiss it like I wanted to. When my television came on and it said the storm has passed, well, I knew I was alive, and I knew that God was alive because the sun came up that morning. But that's just the way God is. He shows up at the most unbelievable times. Sometimes we choose the easy, which will always bring hurt and death. But God's way makes a change in your heart. Your heart changes so much, and your life changes so much. It is truly the dawning of a new day. The clouds pass, and the way to bear it, your trouble I'm talking about, if you are a believer, the way to bear it is to understand that your trouble did not come only for you to deal with. The trouble came to you so you could deal with it, but by dealing with it in the right way, you were going to be able to help multitudes of people that are lost in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. But he said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And so when these times come, and they come in droughts, earthquakes, storms, on and on the list goes. Sickness, disease, but it's in our weakness that he is made strong. So real quickly, I want to give you just a few things as to why God allows trouble. Number one, God allows trouble so you can experience the comfort of God. There is a peace that passes all understanding. There is a comfort that you don't take it through a bottle or intravenously. You don't get it in talking to a believer, as good as that should be. But the comfort comes when the comforter comes. And when the comforter is with you, he is the God of all comfort. So you can't have comfort come unless the comforter comes. And the comfort comes by appointment only. But you set the time. He says, today is the day of salvation. Now is accepted time. This is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And you say, I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about it. How old are you? Well, I'm 50, almost 60. Half a century? When are you going to quit thinking? You've thought of everything else and hadn't worked. But find somebody that met Jesus that tells you that that doesn't work. He's 100% cure. Nobody ever got saved by the blood of Jesus, ever got lost again. You say, where do you get that from right here? And having lived a lot of years and seeing what a wonderful change in life is wrought when Jesus comes into the heart. Just great when he comes in when you're young, when you're a kid, before your 12th birthday. Then your teenage years. Then your young adult years. While you're single. Then you get married. Then your children come along. Then now you're a grandparent. Now you're a great-grandparent. I don't know when you want to jump on board, but let me tell you something. A good time to do it is when you're going through the storm. If you've lived as long as I have, you've been through a whole lot of storms. But thank God I had a comforter when I was seven years old. And every storm I've been through since seven, he has been there. And he's been with you as well. Let me go back to the scripture and just read to you those first 
verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Listen, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolations also abounds by Christ. Let me put that in common words. The only way a parent can, can rear a godly child in their home is for the parents to have God in their heart. You can't teach people something you don't know. You can't tell people how to experience something you never experienced. But he is the God of all comfort. And so when the storm comes and the comforter comes, then the comfort can come. And the reason the comforter comes is so that we can experience the comfort of God. Well, why do you think he allows trouble? Let me give you something else. In order that we can be able to comfort others. Can I let you in on a little secret? If God's given something to you, he wants you to give it to somebody else. You know, you say, I love my dog. That's wonderful. That's a good step to start with. I love my cat, my parakeet, whatever. Then I love my kids. Then I love my grandkids. Then I love my great-grandkids. Now I love my neighbor. Now I love this one. That's good. But when are you going to start loving God? Because you see, when you start loving God, you're going to be helping a whole lot of people. And you know, when you start loving God, you may find yourself talking more about God than you do your kids. Wouldn't that be something? I heard about the guy that got on the airplane. He had pictures of his grandkids in his pocket. And he asked the guy next to him, he said, have I shown you the pictures of my grandkids? The guy next to him, he said, no, and I thank you. <laughs> Good thought. But let me tell you something. Ever since I met Jesus, I've wanted to share it with people, and I've never shared it with anyone that understood what I said that didn't say thank you. What a wonderful day in my life was wrought that day when you told me about Jesus and I invited him to come into my heart. That's what this thing is all about that we're gathered here today for. Folks, this is not a social group that meets on the southeast side of Houston and sends their signal around the world to tell everybody how great Houston is and how great Sage my Church. No, 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 no. We are here to lift him up, the God of all comfort. You know something? Trouble doesn't stop with us. If you're in trouble today, it doesn't stop with you. Trouble's on every hand. And, and, and we're to help others that are in trouble. Listen, I've witnessed for the last 30 days, I, I have witnessed many of you, literally hundreds of you, who lost your house and you put it aside and go help somebody else that was a little weaker in the faith maybe than you were. Maybe you've been through the storm before and you said, I'll, I'll take care of it. It's all right. I'm not going to get in a rush. But I got a friend down the street or across the, the road or somebody that called my church and said, would you help me? And you got in your car and you came down here and you worked and worked and worked and some of you were, weren't 12 years old yet and some of you were approaching 112 and everything in between. And we joined hands together 
and Jesus was lifted up. And when people saw you coming and then saw you leave, their life will never be the same again. J-E-S-U-S was sweeter than F-E-M-A. Or anybody else. Jesus knows where you are. And he loves you right like you are. But he wants to lead you to what he wants you to be. The point was, in order that we can be able to comfort others, here's a scripture in the fourth verse. It says, who comforts us in all of our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You see how simple that is? Trouble doesn't stop with us. Too many of us believe God sends blessings for us. God sends blessings to us so we can bless others. And he says, I will do exceeding abundantly above all you, my kids, think or ask. And sometimes we don't verbalize to God what we really want. We tell God, I want this, but really that's not what you want. What you want is this, and God knows this is what you need, and this is what I'm going to give you. And then we'll take care of the rest of it on another day. You see, that's the reason that Israel had to be set aside while another branch was, was grafted in because Israel thought in the beginning that they were the end of God's blessings. Go back and read your Bible. That's what Israel thought in the beginning. But one day through time, God let them understand, no, I have come to you, my people, but I've come to you that my name might be declared around the globe. And they wanted to hold him to themselves. And if you've read all the Bible, you know how it ends. We call it missions. We call it carry the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. What Israel did not understand at the beginning was they were a channel through which God's blessings would flow. But there wasn't a dam at the end of the channel to back the water up. But rather, the channel would flow to the uttermost part of the earth. And aren't you glad it came to Houston? Aren't you glad it came to wherever you got saved? Aren't you glad that it's where you are, wherever you may be watching? Trouble doesn't stop with us. Never shall we be the end of God's blessings. God gives us the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Why do we have the fruits of the Spirit? What are you talking about? Well, it's in Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is, here they are. Ready? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There they are. Now, if you're saved, you got one of those fruits. Some of you have several of those fruits. Now, what are they for? Well, I guess they're to bless me. Wrong. That's blessing number one. But you know where the greatest blessing is? They're given to you so you can help others. God put them in your hand because he thought, I've got somebody here that will share this meekness, share this love, share this goodness, share this mercy. I've given it to you. Because you're not going to hoard it up. You're not going to brag about it. What you're going to do is share it with the world. 
Those people in Corinth, where the Corinthians, of course, as, as, as we're reading, the book was written to the church in Corinth. It all started, the help came when Asia, many, many miles away, got in trouble. What happened in Asia opened the door for the gospel to come to Corinth. The world needs to know love from lust. And God is love. And they're not going to get it till they get God. The world will never get what God wants to give them until God's kids that have been changed by the love of God and the grace of God and the faith of God and the purpose of God goes and tells them what a wonderful change in my life was wrought when Jesus came into my heart and he'll come into your heart too if you'll let him. That's the goal. That's where we're trying to get with all this thing that we call the church. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now run away with that one this afternoon and think about it. Just think what it would be like if God chose you to be the one that might speak to as many people as Billy Graham. Billy is very, very sick. But I had the privilege to meet him when I was a little boy. Even got my picture with him on my desk. Well, he didn't preach anymore. But let me tell you, when he preached, he always preached on the cross. He always made sure that anybody ever heard him preach knew the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. Who's going to do that in the future? What church is going to rise up and say, we're going to stay focused right here? We're going to let some others do some other things. But what we're going to do is, while others are feeling better than us, we're going to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will exalt us and let us preach the gospel and fulfill that last prophecy. The gospel will be preached to the entire world, and then the end will come. And so shall we ever be with the Lord and the people that we bring with us. Every time I have a new experience in life, or I learn a new truth from God's Word, I began to look for an opportunity to share what I've learned with somebody else. It's just a natural thing with me now. If I learn anything good, I'm going to share it. Anybody that listen. And I try to ask so I don't waste my time seeing people walk away. I found it quite effective if you care, if people know that you care, they don't, they don't want to know what you know until they know that you care. But when you're willing to take the time and give the word the look and the touch, the people are ready to listen. But they're tired of this arrogant Christianity. They're tired of this prosperity gospel. They're tired of this God wants you to feel good every day. No, no. Jesus takes the storms and the troubles, and turns them into life everlasting. You know, Peter had a dream, maybe it was a nightmare, to equip him for a man named Cornelius. I don't know, you may be going through a nightmare. Peter, Paul, look what Paul went through. Shipwrecks, storms, prisons, beatings, but look what he did. He wrote most of the New Testament. 
But you think on easy street, you're just going to get blessed. I feel good. God's so good. He's just blessing me. I don't have to worry for anything. I, I pay cash for everything. God just blesses me. I just got such a wonderful family. They're all healthy. God just blesses me. I just want you all to know that God is blessing me. You know what the people would like to know? Does God care about me? Does God care about me? Would you be willing to put your picture album down and your story down and give me a word, a look, and a touch and see what happens? And comfort is something that you learn through experience, not from the seminary. We have a lot of seminary graduates right here in this room right now and a whole bunch that watch. Let me tell you, you don't learn how to comfort people in a seminary. You love about the comforter. Jesus in the seminary and how to share Jesus with people who need comforting. And the Lord oftentimes uses you to deliver the message, to take it to the hospital room, to take it to the neighbor, to take it to the friend, to take it on vacation and meet somebody on vacation and their whole life is changed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I must be quick. I've got three more, but I'll be brief. Number three, why does God allow trouble? in order that we can empty ourselves of all self-reliance. I hope you don't feel better just because you had insurance than somebody that didn't have insurance. I've heard that talked about. You have insurance? No. So sorry. Do you have insurance? Yes. So glad. Wonderful. But don't miss my point. The point is, did you learn anything in the storm? Have you learned anything about the comforter in the storm? Have you learned anything about what this world is like and how brief things can be and how stuff is just stuff? Have you learned anything or are you just waiting on the next storm and have better insurance? Because the only insurance that's going to last is eternal stuff. State Farm will not be in Houston. Prudential will not be in Houston. Nor will any other insurance company be in Houston. I hope those that work for them are, but the company's going to be left behind. There's no 501c3 corporations in heaven. The church will be gone to heaven. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, we were above strength, insomuch that we despaired even for our life. But listen, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God that raises the dead. That's where your trust is. That's where my trust is. We want you to have your trust there. He can weather the storm. He can send the storm and he can rescue us from the storm. But if we keep playing the games that the world plays and deal with storms in life like they deal with them, we'll have the same results they have. And it is never, ever the best. When Paul came time to die, his trust was not in himself or in anybody else. His trust was in God. We have a lot of teaching today to have confidence in ourselves. Moses had confidence in himself. What a mess he became. 
Abraham had confidence in himself, made a mess. Peter, same thing, made a mess. Paul was a cocky, young theologue and, and uh, scholar, went to the best schools there was, made a mess out of his life. So where are you going to get out of the mess? <laughs> You're just going to run into the arms of God. And let God put his arms around you and lift you up out of the sinking sand and put you on the solid rock. Our church is facing some decisions right now. 38,000 square feet of our buildings have been destroyed for all practical purposes. And everybody's saying, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? When are we going to decide what are we going to do? Whenever we can find out what God wants to do, and how we can do it where he will get all the glory. And that's when the decision will be made. Well, I hope you'll be reasonable. Don't plan to be. <laughs> well, I hope you'll be practical. Don't plan to be. But I tell you what. We will not move forward or ask the church to move forward. Your leadership ones. We got a wonderful finance team. A wonderful planning team. A wonderful group of deacons. And let me tell you what the unanimous commitment is. Let's find out what God's up to and get in on it. And whatever God wants, he will provide it. But let's don't come up with what we want and do it our way. Let's do it his way. And let go and let God have his wonderful way. And that is number four. Why do troubles come? In order that we might exhibit the power of God. Houston trembles when they think about how God has blessed his church financially. The banks can't believe it. Leadership cannot believe it. Many churches in the world cannot believe this church operates free of debt. You've seen no offering plate. Those of you that watch on the internet, nobody is going to ask you to send a gift. If God tells you, wonderful, but it'll be used for the glory of God. But God wants us to exhibit his power. And there's no more ex exhibition that's greater than a lost sinner getting saved. Amen? Amen? Have you ever seen a miracle any greater than a new birth? I don't think so. We're just old clay vessels. And all we accomplish, we accomplish it through his power. And number five, why does God allow trouble? In order that we might express in our life, our life, your life, the life of Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would he do? Knowing what he knows right now, what would he do if he were in your case, lost, without hope, not knowing what another day is going to bring, knowing it's appointed unto man once to die, knowing that death is one heartbeat away, if Jesus were in your place, what would he do? You know what he'd do? He would say, into thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit. That's what he'd do. So the question is, what are you going to do? Let me close with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, 
that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you and in me. Death is inevitable, physical death. And spiritual death is inevitable until the blood of Jesus comes and cleanses you from all sin. I beg you, if you go to no church or go to a church that tells you that they control heaven, and if you will join them, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you'll go to hell. Can I assure you, without any reservation, that is not what the Scripture says. It says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except me. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. By my stripes you are healed, and whosoever shall call upon my name will be saved. And if you got time, I'll give you 200 more verses like that. Jesus saves. Jesus is the hope of all trouble. This is where the spiritual harvest comes. Some will pray. Some have prayed for this service today. Some will bring others to the services or into the fellowship of Christians. And some are doing that. Some invite others while some bring others. Some will give generously today. Others will not. But there's a lot of people here today. And some that are not here, but they know we're here and they're praying for us. And some of them are watching wherever they are. They always tune in. When we're not here, we tune in to watch our own services. But you know what? You know why everybody's watching and looking and praying? It's because we're hoping that somebody today will be born again. That somebody today will come in here in darkness and go out in the light. That somebody will come in here today that was headed to death without God and without hope that will walk out of here as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And you just remember this, when you're God's child, you're a beneficiary of his will. You remember that when you got married, didn't you? You know, if you married a guy for his money, I hope you haven't been disappointed. (laughs) If you stayed at home until you knew your parents had your name in the will and then left, shame on you. Because they can change their will. And some of them have. Just thought you'd want to know that thought. (laughs) But could I close by putting it like this? When he said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all could come to repentance, that's never changed. The blood of Christ will have no substitute. He is the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. And he says, whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life freely. Wouldn't it be good to have something like that and not have to put it on your credit card, debit card? Go down to the bank and borrow for it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin. What did sin do for you? Left a crimson stain. But Jesus, thanks to Calvary, washed it white as snow. 